0: This is Feather Forum, the podcast by Canadian Poultry Magazine, Canada's leading source for poultry news, research, and trends for more than 100 years. You've tuned in to hear important conversations with industry leaders, producers, researchers, and other
1: experts. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Feather Forum. I'm Brett Ruffle, editor of Canadian Poultry. The North American poultry industry has been on edge since last year. That's when HPAI was discovered on the continent for the first time since the 2015 outbreak. Here to provide an update on the situation is
0: Dr. Tom Baker, and uh, I'm the manager of the Featherboard Command Centre in Ontario.
1: We talk about the story in North America so far, how the disease typically spreads, and preventative measures farmers can take to protect their flock. Now let's talk to Tom. Okay, so this time around, AI, it was first detected in uh, late last year in Newfoundland. So I was wondering, can you first provide an overview of the story so far in Canada?
0: Yeah, the story uh, basically starts in uh, late November when they started picking up some high path avian influenza and some wild bird, uh, uh, dead wild birds that have been found in the Newfoundland uh, area. So it was early December, I believe it was December 9th actually when the first uh, small flock, a little exhibition flock of birds came down with the virus and, uh, you know, eventually uh, it, you know, it spread to a few other. um, There was another two basically and. It spread to another small flock in Newfoundland uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, never got into the commercial poultry, but uh, so that that starts to happen in basically December, and then it's uh, since then it spread to Nova Scotia, and uh, we've seen uh, uh, a backyard flock there and uh, a couple of co- uh, commercial flocks of turkeys. Um, so it seems uh, touch wood we haven't seen anything. Uh, more since middle of February, I guess that's not too long, but it's a hopeful sign. Uh, The the flocks have all been depopulated and the cleanup is well underway. Uh, I mean, it's even possible some of these uh, even influenza control zones could be uh, able to be removed in the next uh, month or so. So um, that's, uh, that's basically what we've seen in Canada so far. Uh, We're seeing a few um, uh, you know there's surveillance going on with migratory waterfowl that's uh, all across uh, the world actually but it's it's useful to, to know what's in the wild bird population because that is a risk factor and uh, we're, we're certainly seeing um, a number of uh, wild bird uh, infected wild birds with um, in various parts of the country um, not so much in Ontario at least nothing's been reported in the last uh, my latest data is, I guess, middle of February, but um, there haven't been any findings in, in Ontario, to my knowledge, but uh, we, we've seen um, certainly wild bird incidents as I mentioned in Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, uh, and just the last couple of days been a, a few more developments. Uh, they found uh, a bald eagle in uh, Vancouver uh, metropolitan Vancouver uh, that was uh, was sick and then died and was tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza. And a, similarly, a bald eagle in Prince Edward Island <laughs> yesterday, I think it was a couple of days ago, and a crow up in northern part of Newfoundland different part of the of the province. So it's out there clearly. Um, but as I say, in terms of poultry flocks. Uh, there's been nothing reported outside of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland.
1: Yeah so it's obviously circulating right now but it's just not hitting commercial prop, commercial operations.
0: It's well it hasn't entered into the barn door as it were. <laughs> um, we can't be positive about these things. I'm not sure the the migra- migrations a little bit later here than it is say down in, uh, in the states. So uh, you know, may it may. Uh, I don't think we're out of the woods, um, but uh, ideally, if everyone's practicing their biosecurity uh, properly, um, even if it's in the wild bird population, doesn't it's not uh, a given that it will end up in the barns.
1: So so far, like how how does this outbreak compare to ones we've seen in the past? Yeah, well, fortunately, we don't have a lot of
0: experience with it in Ontario. We've really only had at least. A... <laughs> my memory uh 2015 was was uh when we had even influenza in ontario also uh, at that time bc had a uh, an outbreak just a few a month or two before it hit here but um how it compares <laughs> well hopefully this one doesn't actually uh, happen that we're able to uh, have good enough biosecurity to keep it out. But uh, in terms of the sort of the context, I guess maybe what you're asking about, um, it's quite different, I think, um, in a lot of respects. I mean, first of all, this uh, H5N1 type of uh, highly pathogenic, avian influenza, is a bit of a global phenomenon right now. Almost every country in Europe and Asia, even India, Africa, is, is is being hit with the same virus, the same strain, which is quite unusual. Uh, Europe has been struggling in Asia for a couple of years uh, with this, but in the last year, everyone basically seems to be, uh, this particular strain seems to be dominating. And so, th- so that's, it's a little different global context. Um, this strain that we're seeing is different um, it comes uh, what they called it a, a eurasian strain of uh high path avian influenza H5N1 uh the one we had in 2015 the virologist said it was a north american strain so that's interesting and uh of uh, you know an up co- of concern um, this uh, virus what we're seeing so far is extremely high mortality um, in um in, in in some situations, the birds die so quickly that there aren't any clinical signs. Even uh, farmer comes out and massive uh, number of dead birds. Um, so it, it does seem to be um, hotter than 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 we've seen before. Uh, clinical signs are extreme. In some cases, the birds die almost immediately. So it's uh, highly contagious,
1: highly uh, pathogenic. In the past, didn't it spread from the West and then yeah. go from there, in the past, whereas this time it came from the East? Yes,
0: this, this, it is interesting. Um, Eastern North America was really escaped the uh, avian influenza of 2015. Um, and partly because it's in a, a different flyway, it's called the Atlantic Flyway, and they, for whatever reason, the birds, uh, there didn't seem to be problems there. It was mostly in the Midwest and, and, and the West. And uh, the, the outbreak did pretty much stem from BC and, and the West Coast. California was where we, we started to see it. And um, and then it, it, it's, it's you know, spread across the country pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, this was it's different in that respect, it's a different strain. It's coming from a different flyway. Um, it was the uh, Ontario has the misfortune of being located in uh, two fly major migratory bird uh, flyways and uh, the Mississippi Flyway and uh, Atlantic.
1: And so how are things unfolding in the U.S.? Like it seems we're at a point now where there's several commercial barns are being affected each week. Well, there's
0: a very high level of concern in the United States right now. Um, right now, they've had 18 uh, poultry premises infected with this uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza, this strain H5N1, across nine different states. So it's... Uh, seems to be a pocket uh, down in southwest Indiana. I think they've had six flocks there infected and a couple in in Kentucky, sort of across the border, not too far away. Um, Doesn't seem to be any uh, links between the farms. There's there's no proof that it's spread from one farm to the other. The experts are telling us that it appears to be uh, independent uh, infections uh, from wild bird, um, from the wild bird, population. And um, they also have had a number of backyard flocks, I think seven so far in states varying from Virginia, New York, Maine, and then Connecticut, and then over to uh, Michigan, and and just yesterday, uh, Iowa, which is a a real concern. Um, Iowa suffered heavily in 2015. That was one of the, it's a major egg-laying um, production t- um, in in Iowa, and they lost 35 million birds in in 2015. So they're very concerned that this might spread into the commercial uh, sector. They've lost uh, it, up to, it's uh, last time I look is about 1.6 million birds have have died or been culled. Um, you know, in in the response procedure that the government has for avian influenza, they uh, uh, I mean, as I say, a lot of the birds are dying before they're even um, seen by the agency or by a veterinarian, but the whole flock is, is culled because, you know, in order to stop, you know, to stamp it out is the term they use. And, uh, yeah, so 1.6 million birds so far in the States um, have died or been culled. uh yeah so it's uh, every day there seems to be one or two more backyard flocks some of these are in urban situations uh, the common um, denominator i've noticed is they're all near uh, waterways or, or you know either shore, uh, shoreline uh, seashore or major rivers or lakes um which makes sense you know with the wild bird uh, migration
1: okay so going forward what do you foresee as the next steps in canada
0: we're very much in um a, a preparatory uh, stage right now where um you can't just sit back and hope <laughs> that it passes you over um we uh, we uh, we've well we've been in a state of preparation, you know basically since 2015 we we are modeling and the work we've done suggested this this disease would come back periodically um <clears throat> we uh, We've sort of been on a force march ever since then to uh, improve our biosecurity systems, to improve our uh, emergency response capacity. Uh, we work very closely with uh, you know two levels of government um, in um, in that type of work. But uh, so we feel that we are prepared uh, for an outbreak. Um, we have uh, the Featherboard Command Center uh, has. Uh, trained up a large cadre of, of people in an emergency response. Um, we um, have, um, you know, disease alert uh, uh, systems established with uh, all sectors of the industry. Um, you know, we've gone through disease outbreak simulations. So we, we, we would, uh, we had a discussion about this just recently actually that Featherboard Command Center board, which by the way represents not just the farmer farm uh, the four feather boards the farm organizations it also represents the feed industry processors uh, hatcheries and, and other service providers so that's something we didn't have in 2015 so you know we've strengthened our our uh, systems uh, farmers I think of uh, it, it was a real lesson for everyone of the importance of having by you know good biosecurity all the time, you know, in terms of how they keep their barns up and also their operational procedures to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, in this case, wild bird droppings uh, are not uh, being locked into to their barns or, you know, anything that might cause that disease to, to spread. Uh, so we know, it's, we're, we're assuming it's out there, or if it's not right now, it, it will be soon uh, as, as the birds uh, migrate north. Um, but uh, I guess we we know what to expect. We've monitored uh, the situation uh, globally uh, for some time. We've been tracking what experiences other countries have gone through and how they've handled it, um, and there's lessons to be learned. And um, so, so I think that that's basically it. We're, we're doing a lot of, edu- continuing to do a lot of educational work, uh, just making sure that farmers are, know what to do when they see a situation where there's something going wrong with the flock health. Um, There's, uh, I mean, we can talk about this if if you wish. I mean, there's a lot of biosecurity measures that are are in place and and need to be enforced all the time. But there's also the importance of monitoring flock health is is really significant. We've had other diseases besides uh, avian influenza are highly contagious not necessarily federally reportable but uh, diseases like infectious laryngotracheitis uh, infectious laryngotracheitis ILT um, we've been hit with that uh, well lots of small flocks and and we've had a couple outbreaks recently involving commercial uh, poultry and uh, that gave us a chance to test our systems uh, in terms of uh, early response and uh, control measures and, and uh, in a sense that helped us,
1: uh, you know, be ready. It sounds like we're more ready than ever.
0: Well, I, I, I really believe that's the case. Uh, As I say, we're, there's always lessons to be learned every time there's, uh, there's an outbreak. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, we're, that anything's guaranteed. We, We don't know how things unfold. But uh, we believe that uh, you know, if you have good prevention, which we do through our uh, mandatory biosecurity in, in, in the commercial sector, um, we think that uh, that goes a long ways. And then if you have response, you response know, mechanisms ready to roll uh, if necessary.
1: So how does AI usually jump from affecting wild birds and backyard flocks to commercial operations?
0: Yeah, well, one thing that I've that we've noticed looking at this disease over the last uh, year or so is that uh, there's a certain sequence of events that happens and it's, it's remarkably consistent. We, uh, we see uh, wild birds, uh, dead wild birds that uh, get, uh, you know, die-offs even in some case and they get sent in for testing and <clears throat> they come back positive. And uh, and then, but within, often within a couple of weeks or, or even sooner, we see a free range poultry or backyard flock that comes down with the, with the infection. And then, you know, you roll the clock ahead another week or two and you see, com- you know, um, commercial turkey flock typically um, coming down with, with the disease. So there, there is a certain sequence um, which kind of makes sense when you think of the exposure of different production types uh, to, to a virus, you know, in the wild uh, bird population. Um, I mean, there are some risk factors of, uh, you know, which parts of the country, you know, are more at risk. Um, so if you do get a, uh, an incursion of this virus through the wild bird population, if it somehow, you know, finds its way into a poultry barn um, through a breach in biosecurity or whatever um, the areas that you know the larger flocks and the areas of the country that have more farm density more concentrated density of farms they they seem to be more vulnerable and the concern always is um, if it gets into one farm that it might spread from one farm to the other we're not seeing that there's no evidence of it so far in the states. I think in Europe, that did happen, uh, from what I've uh, I've seen, and it, and it's it's certainly possible if you have farms that have shared uh, management, shared uh, personnel, uh, service providers that go farm to farm. That uh, you know, if they're slipped up in their biosecurity, uh, it's certainly possible to spread. And those would be the type of areas of the country that would be more vulnerable uh, if there was you know higher density of poultry.
1: Yeah, so how, how does it typically get inside a barn?
0: Well, there's some cases if a farmer isn't keeping their barn uh, properly maintained, the wild birds can fly into the barn. Um, That has happened in past outbreaks. Um, So that would be an obvious one. Uh, The other uh, possibility is uh, through uh, feed that may have um, become contaminated somehow. Uh, if it wasn't, you know, covered wasn't stored properly, or, you know, there was a feed spill, that could contaminate the feed. It could come in um, if farmers that are using surface water for their barns, if that water isn't properly treated, there's a possibility of of that uh, coming into the barn that way. So there's you know, from the environment. Um, But, I've heard one person say that uh, usually it walks in, <laughs> and I think the reference there is to uh, footwear that uh, was contaminated with bird droppings, and was um, you know there was a breach in the biosecurity. The farmer, whoever the visitor is, um, into the barn didn't replace their didn't cover their boots, didn't replace uh, you know put in a, cl- a, cl- a clean pair of boots and and an apparel on. That's that's really a concern because there is you know, you have to go into the barn occasionally. And um, if if someone's using, you know, has a contaminated clothing or contaminated boots, uh, that's that's gonna spread like wildfire. I read a thing uh, recently, it said that one gram of uh, bird feces could uh, destroy a million birds, you know, in a large, a large operation. So uh, there's many ways um, it could get in but with proper maintenance of the, of, of the equipment, well, the others, there's others. There's, there's sharing equipment with other um, uh, farmers. Uh, there's some people leave their equipment outside and it gets contaminated. In 2015 outbreak, <clears throat> there was a lot of uh, tilling of the soil going on, obviously, in the spring. This was in um, April, May. And uh, there was concern that dust could be, uh, you know, contaminated dust from the fields could 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 spread and come into an intake, uh, an air intake. That certainly uh, was identified in the United States in 2015. They found that barns that were closer to gravel roads uh, were more likely to get infected. So there are just uh, uh, multiple ways. Um, they're all preventable uh, with care, but, um, they are, uh, you know, every farm has their own specific vulnerabilities, right? And the part of your biosecurity plan is to make sure you've covered off on those and are mitigating, well, preventing them and or, or mitigating those risks. So if, I don't know. It's uh, I, we could talk for a long time about that. It's uh, the farmers know best because they they uh, can look at their systems and they know where they're most vulnerable, and they got to make sure their biosecurity plan is is covering that off.
1: It's a broad topic, but could you share the one or two key things producers should keep in mind in terms of prevention? It depends
0: on the type of operation. Again, that was kind of what I was saying. That there is these national biosecurity standards that the, the commercial poultry farmers have to adhere to. Um, but there's some, I don't know, I'm going to try turning it on its head and some of the things that uh, that uh, would, would be the highest risk. I guess you can Hold that in the mirror and then you know what to do but poultry that's housed outside during migratory uh, waterfowl season um, you know are are at at obvious risk so you know whether you're small small flocker or uh, uh, you know free range a lot of jurisdictions in Europe and and also the U.S. now are are, uh, telling people to leave the birds inside to make sure if they are outside they're sheltered so there'd be no potential for contamination. So that's one obvious one. Uh, I mentioned well um, trying to avoid anything that would attract wild birds onto the farm, uh, and, and ponds, and so on. Or if, if there's feed being left out there that would attract uh, wild birds. That's something you want to avoid. Um, it's important to keep the uh, keep it clean around the poultry areas. You don't want piles of debris or anything that could attract uh, contaminated you know, droppings and so on from wild birds. One of the things we've, uh, in 2015, we told farmers to not park, you know, if they were out in the field with their equipment, not to park it near the poultry uh, barns. Um, smaller flocks often run into trouble when they uh, introduce new birds. I mean, most of the commercial sector is all in, all out, right, in their production, but and small flocks, uh, especially some of the hobbyists and fanciers, they they will they will go to an auction or a sale, they'll exchange birds and uh, bring in a bird without <clears throat> proper quarantine, and so on. That's a real easy way to spread a disease, uh, any infectious uh, viral disease quickly. Um, farmers need to make sure they have uh, proper protective equipment, prep, you know, and, and we're talking about uh, clean coveralls, uh, boot coverings, um, you know, dedicated for in the barn versus uh, outside. Um, in this case, uh, you know, uh, head covering, uh, gloves, proper sanitation this is extremely important. And, uh, you know, trying to minimize the amount of uh, human movement and interaction with poultry, you know, don't. We don't want visitors coming in just to see your birds and this type of thing. It has to be minimal human movement, especially in a period like this. Um, what we saw in 2015, and we would probably do it again, if, if, if it happened, is certainly part of our protocols, we would try to discourage uh, any service providers coming onto farms um, during a period of, you know, heightened biosecurity when there's a when there's cases in, in our province. So that would mean like the auditors from the, the different marketing boards you know, that inspect the farms, it would mean the, the feed reps that are you know, providing technical advice to uh, farmers. We would strongly discourage any of those folks going on a farm uh, in the early stages of an outbreak till we get a better idea of how far the disease has spread and uh, you know, get
1: it under control. All right, that's great. So is there anything else you'd like to add?
0: Yeah, well, I think in Ontario here, we certainly are aware um, of the impending risk. Um, you know, some of these cases in the United States are, are literally within a, a couple hundred kilometers of Canada, of Ontario. And um, so it's certainly time for uh, poultry industry to enhance their biosecurity. And what we mean by that is make sure you're following to the letter, your, your biosecurity plan. And if there's something extra you can do even beyond what's the basic requirements, then you should do it. We would, um, I talked previously about a situation where we might, when there's an infected flock in Ontario, we would escalate our, the biosecurity to a heightened level and that would, as I mentioned, would, would you know, be restricting um, personnel movement between farms. Uh, it would be uh, requiring disinfection of vehicles inside and out after each farm. You know, quite a long list of uh, protocols that uh, would be instituted over and above, you know, what we call um, standard biosecurity. Um, so we've been working with uh, OMAFRA, with the Ministry of Agriculture and Food here in Ontario, um, with their extension work and and so on to try to get the message out to the small flock growers. We, in Ontario we're lucky we have, um, we've registered many of the small flock growers, I believe we have about 21,000 different uh, premises where small flocks uh, are raised, uh, where birds are raised in small flocks, backyard flocks, and we keep in contact with them if there's ever an outbreak in their area and we try to get you know uh, information out to them in terms of how they can prove their biosecurity. but OMAFRA has played a quite a leading role uh, in that uh, in Ontario and we, we certainly appreciate that because it uh, it is a weak spot in the system but as I always said it's um, that's you, you know the commercial poultry sector you don't you shouldn't be blaming the small flocks it's a different production type they have their own risks but as a commercial farmer you, your uh, obligation and is to make sure your biosecurity is excellent and then you don't have to uh, worry uh, who's next door to you. Well, um, the veterinary role is, is important in this, uh, obviously. And we really encourage farmers to, when they're suspicious, like even something as simple as uh, the water consumption being down, uh, a slight drop in egg production, you know, you know in a layer operation, um, or one common thing that we're hearing from our, our colleagues in other jurisdictions is the first sign the farmer often sees is quiet birds. Like there's no noise when they go into the barn and the bird, when you look closer, they're lethargic. So sometimes there's no obvious clinical signs. The virus is so hot that it often uh, kills the bird before you get uh, you know very obvious clinical signs that you'd normally associate with uh, respiratory virus. So we're really encouraging that farmers notify their veterinarians immediately if they suspect anything and, all, and also that they contact the, their marketing board because we, we can take measures to help them self you know, uh, quarantine and control this, you know it's, a, it's only a suspect at that point, right? But uh, you need to start your control measures immediately. Uh, even before it's uh, diagnosed and so we, we, we that's important probably a most critical part of the whole thing because with the best biosecurity it's still going to happen it's going to happen somewhere and uh, you don't want it to be on your farm and you need to be able to respond quickly it, it's uh, that's what's key to this whole thing if, if we do get it and like in 2015 We were able to work with government and control this outbreak to three flocks and i think that was a real accomplishment and it wasn't a coincidence it it spoke to the extremely strict controls we put in place in terms of movement of uh birds eggs service vehicles everything was product could only move you know with with proper licenses and so on and um so, so that was you know, I think that was key and that's what we would do again. We would try to control this to ideally to one flock, you know, and and and, and shut it down. So it's a period of concern. I'm um, getting lots of phone calls and different organizations wanting to make sure they're indeed prepared and <laughs> and uh, so, but that's healthy. Um, we're not, uh, there's no hysteria, there's no alarm. It's, it's a high level of awareness and people um, being prepared getting prepared to respond.
1: All right, great. Well, thanks a lot for your time. All right, take care, Brett. All the take best. Care,
0: thanks for tuning in to Feather Forum, the podcast by Canadian Poultry Magazine. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit canadianpoultrymag.com slash podcasts.